Mark 2, Proverbs chapter 6. Uh, Proverbs chapter 6, we'll be picking up with verse 12 and reading through verse 19, just these eight verses. And then um, we have one more section of chapter 6 to finish uh, before we can move on. But let's start with uh, verse 12, if your Bibles are open. Proverbs 6. Verse 12, it says, A worthless person, a wicked man. This isn't the way you want God to uh, refer to you in any way, shape, or form, is it? A worthless person, a wicked man, walks with a perverse mouth. He winks with his eyes, shuffles his feet, he points with his fingers. Perversity is in his heart. He devises evil continually. He sows discord. Therefore, his calamity shall come suddenly. Suddenly he shall be broken and without remedy. Verse 16, these six things the Lord hates, yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift and run into evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among the brethren. Let's pray. Father, we gather here this evening by your grace. We thank you, uh, Lord, that you've given us uh, this place. Uh, though it is rainy and wet outside, it's dry in here, and we're grateful for uh, the provisions you've given us. We thank you for making us, uh, bringing us through another day. Uh, we thank you, Lord, uh, for your Holy Spirit in our hearts, in our lives. Uh, we thank you for your continual grace and mercy in our life. Uh, we ask, Lord, that as we open your word, that uh, just as the worship time uh, was refreshing, you'd now refresh and teach and instruct uh, and even warn uh, through your word that we would just take heed to the things that, uh, that you would speak by your spirit. Uh, Lord, remove me in any way that uh, you and you alone would be proclaimed and glorified tonight. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I would say, all of us would agree, that we love God's promises, don't we? I love the promises of God. If you've been in Galatians, that we have an inheritance with the Lord. I mean, I love the fact that Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am, you will be also. I mean, if you think Tahiti's nice, wait till you get to heaven. I mean, if you think that the best piece of cheesecake you ever had from the Cheesecake Factory is good, wait till you get a meal in heaven. Anything you can think of, your greatest day. We love the promises of God, and rightly so. The Scriptures say all the promises of God are yes and amen. As believers, uh, we stand in this world, as chaotic as it is, uh, but not just in the world's chaos. We have our own difficulties, don't we? We have our own trials. We have our own battles. We have our own lean times that we have to get through, and we stand on these promises of God. I'm thankful that we have them. But just as we cling to and just as we treasure and need God's faithful promises in our lives, and we also need them on our lips and our mind, because that's why the Scripture says to meditate on these things. You know, like a cow just chews the cud. We're to meditate on these things because they really do give us strength and they give us a reminder of God's supernatural power in our life. But just as we love the promises and we lean on these promises and we stand on them, we also need to remember God's warnings. And first, for ourselves, before we kind of point the finger at everybody else, we need to remember God's warnings. But as we remember them, 
we will humbly share them with others, warning uh, others around us when we present the whole counsel of God. I, I had a pastor mentor of mine in Charlotte. I mean, when I moved to Charlotte from South Florida, when we first got there, there wasn't a Calvary Chapel, and we attended Central Church of God for a couple of years. But then when the Lord led us to this tiny little Calvary Chapel of Charlotte, and Pastor Dane Wadley had moved there from San Diego, and he was the pastor, he always said, I mean, he said it a lot, he said, you can't know how good the good news is unless you know how bad the bad news is. He would say it a lot. It wasn't an original quote from him, but it was something that uh, you could hear him say on a regular basis. And it stuck with me because I realized that when I'm dealing with people, they have to know the bad news too. And the bad news is that we're really sinful people, aren't we? And we stand on the promises because we've been brought out of that. But God, it's true he's full of love. It's true that he is the definition of love. He's the agape, perfect, sacrificial love. But he's also holy, and we've talked about this numerous times in recent weeks. God is holy. Uh, He doesn't just have a little dislike for sin. He hates sin. He has a complete disdain for it. He despises it. And the rebellion and the pride that comes with sin, and really the uh, origination of that sin. If you think about Satan, it originally started with pride and rebellion, right? So sin in all forms started with pride and rebellion. Before all the other proliferation of sins that we see today, it started out with that. And God hated the original sin, and he hates all sin. And as a holy and loving God, uh, he's made a way of salvation by himself, Emmanuel, sending his own son, to die in our place, a way to be rescued from our sins. But each person has to choose, right? Even the Israelites, when before they entered in the promised land, Joshua said, choose you. You you have to choose whom you're going to serve. You're going to serve the Lord. You're going to serve the idols of this world. Each person has to choose. Jesus says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. He doesn't make you come. He invites you to come. And here God He warns what a life of rebellion looks like, how it dulls the conscience. You've seen this with people? I mean, you can see in your own life, too. You can see sometimes your conscience get dulled, but you see how the conscience gets dulled, and over time, uh, it renders a person completely in bondage and darkness, and really, they become the enemy of God because they now are opposite of God. They're opposing the righteousness and holiness of God. Now, if God didn't love mankind, he'd give no warning. And can you imagine, like, you know, today we have Noah and we have all these uh, NASA uh, satellites, and we actually know, you know, our ancestors 200 years ago, they had no concept of being able to watch a hurricane come from the African coast across and say, we figured out 8,000 models of which way it could go, but uh, generally speaking, it's probably going to land in this area, Right? And we can actually watch that, and we can watch it on the Weather Channel, we can watch it on our phone apps and everything else. Uh, But they had no concept it was coming, so there was no warning. And even today, we see things with no warning. That, That earthquake that recently rocked Italy, there was no warning for that. It just all of a sudden, out of nowhere comes. But when it comes to uh, sin, God has given a warning. Because he does love love mankind, uh, he gives a warning. If he didn't, he wouldn't. Uh, But we know he's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. And here in these eight verses, uh, we have a total of 14 warnings from God. If you go back and you want to 
uh, total them up, although I've got a list and you can just write them down. There's 14 total warnings uh, in these uh, eight verses. Uh, it's actually a two list of seven. So it's seven in verses uh, 12 through 14, 12 through 15, and then seven, a separate list of seven in verses 16 through 19. And the second list is sometimes called, you, you may have heard this term uh, a number of times in your life, the second list in verses 16 through 19 are sometimes referred to as the seven deadly sins. You heard that term? Uh, it, it's, it's in certain denominations, uh, you'll hear it quite frequently. Uh, but the seven deadly sins, and uh, when you think about it, if God hates something, well, it's deadly to be on the receiving end of his wrath. That's why they're deadly. Well, they're deadly for other reasons, too. Uh, They're destructive and deadly to people around them, uh, but it would be deadly to be on the receiving end of God's wrath. And so I've titled tonight's message, uh, even though we have two lists of seven and a total of 14, Take Heed, Seven Warnings, specifically referring to this second seven, Seven Warnings from the Lord. It's actually two lists of seven. Now, The number seven in the listing of seven is significant. Seven in the Hebrew, it means full or complete. So when you you see that term seven in the Bible, the Hebrew word is full or complete. Uh, It is the number of perfection. It's God's perfection specifically. His special number seen throughout the scriptures, and it's representative of his perfect completeness. Think about it. He was perfect in creation perfect in the seven days that we have, but he's also perfect in judgment. Think about the seven-year tribulation. God is perfect in judgment, even as he's perfect in creation. So while God would be completely, uh, while God would be completely perfect and holy uh, in all the things that he does that are loving and good, he's also completely and perfect and holy in his judgment. And any man or woman living in these sins that we see here is, in effect, living in complete. Again, this number seven is complete. It's the kind of opposite of God's completion, God's perfectness in completion. This person living in this lifestyle is in complete rebellion, right? Just as God is in complete perfection, complete holiness, a person living a wicked life is in complete rebellion, 100% darkness, dead, blinded by the God of this age. And this is the spirit of Antichrist uh, that John the Apostle mentions in 1 John 4, 3, this anti-opposing God. There really will be a real Antichrist. There will be one man that will fulfill all of these characteristics and will be the personification of pure evil, although people won't be able to tell on the outside because he'll look really nice, super smooth. He certainly wouldn't. He certainly can't be any of the people running for office because they don't seem nice or super smooth. This person will be far more deceptive than anyone currently uh, that you can think about state, local, uh, or presidential elections. Very, very I mean, he's going to deceive the whole world, but he will be inside full of evil. But the spirit of Antichrist is not just the Antichrist. You and I, before we were saved, we were walking in the spirit of Antichrist. We were opposed to God and various levels. There's actually levels of sin. There's more, some people are more rebellious than others. Anyone dies without Christ, they're 
they're going to spend the same eternity in hell. But just as there's levels of reward in heaven, there's also levels of punishment uh, in the age to come as well. So you can be completely abandoned. Some people would might use that term, sold their soul, just completely gone. And even Romans 1 talks about this. When God gives over an entire nation or an entire people, uh, things just there's just no moral compass at all anymore. That's the way it became in the days of Noah, right? Uh, there was a time when there was kind of some morality and some, but it just kept cascading to the point where there was none left except for Noah and his family. But you look at this list here, and this is what God warns of, is that uh, uh, to resist or reject God, uh, you can fall into the place that you just are completely depraved, worthless, wicked. And we want to look at the first uh, list here, verses 12 through 15, these seven characteristics, seven characteristics of a vile uh, person or a fleshly person. Uh, I chose the term fleshly here because I think it's a little more relatable to most people that we run into. Uh, you know, I don't really walk up to unsaved people and say, uh, you are wicked. <laughs> I, I don't do that. Uh, although there are people that we see, we see a horrific crime, and the first things out of my mouth, I said, that is pure evil. I don't know where the word pure and evil come together. It's a term that's been around a long time, but probably another term, uh, dark evil or something like that. But uh, we, we understand when we see just a complete voidness of light, a complete uh, abandonment of anything that God would have as pure and holy. And so uh, God starts off here uh, through, uh, uh, through Solomon saying, a worthless person, a wicked man these seven characteristics, but I think it, it also applies to just someone who lives by the flesh. And in the Old Testament, there was a man like this uh, early on in the Bible, Cain, right? When you think about Cain, you might remember that he murdered his brother and, and, you know, to, to beat someone to death or however he ki- you know, to, to, to kill his own brother. Uh, violent, just complete rage. Cain went into that kind of rage where he killed another human being. Cain, uh, before he kills his brother, Cain, before he kills his brother, uh, he's just, he just brings a wrong sacrifice, right? He wasn't violent at that point. Do you see what I'm saying? That, that bad character starts out with just rejecting God, but then it elevates to um, all the way into just someone who completely disregards murder, or violence, or idolatry, or anything. That in, so you become self-willed, not at all uh, answering to God. And this is how people, once they set themselves up as a God, they do whatever they want. It's how dictators can be uh, the way that they are, and, and they, they, they don't answer to anyone but uh, they themselves. So this is a, a fleshly person that uh, you may run into, or I may run into, that uh, may right now, early in their life, they may just be fleshly, uh, but that will escalate over time. The more that they just are ruled by the flesh, then the appetite for sin will get worse and worse and worse. These seven characteristics, now God describes um, wicked and worthless. What do these terms mean? Well, worthless uh, in the Hebrew here, it means base, unprofitable, 
good for nothing. Well, that's pretty self-explanatory. You certainly don't want to be a person that God would describe as good for absolutely nothing, to be trampled upon. Wicked, uh, it has a number of different meanings, but it means trouble. Vanity, which we would, which we would kind of uh, uh, link that to pride, and uh, we'll see some of that in the, in the list as well. And sorrow, someone who, uh, because of their wickedness, they bring sorrow to those around them. So these are some of the uh, thoughts behind uh, worthless and wicked from a Hebrew perspective. And he says, uh, this person starts the list of seven. The first one is they walk with a perverse mouth. Now, Satan, the first thing that we see is he starts to say out of his mouth, I will ascend to the level of God. What does he say to Adam and Eve? He says to Eve, hath God really said? Satan has a perverse mouth. He perverts truth. He perverts the things of God. He takes the things of God and he twists them. A perverse mouth. What does it mean? Well, again, the Hebrew here is distortion. Crookedness. Wow, doesn't that sound contemporary to a lot of mouths that we see in the contemporary culture? But think about what comes out of a lot of people's mouths. Think of what used to come out of your mouth before you came to Christ. One of the things that happens when you get saved is the things that come out of your mouth change. And I, when, I, when I go into uh, Bon Air, the kids that are incarcerated, they're cuss a lot. It's, it's used as like an adjective, a conjunctive. It's used as a verb. It's used as a pronoun. It's used in all sentence formats. And there's all the colorful words that you can think of are used on a regular basis, and this is how they talk to one another. Now, before I was saved, I didn't quite do that concept, but when I played sports and stuff, it sounded the same. And in certain settings, when you watch sports and stuff, that was normative. And you, you know, many of you men, before you're saved, and maybe some of you ladies, maybe some of you ladies cuss like a sailor, I don't know. But uh, <laughs> a lot of us as men did. And it was a way to fit in, it was a way to be cool, it was a way to show anger or frustration or uh, intimidation even, right? What comes out of the mouth after you get saved, you all of a sudden realize, oh, I can't talk like that anymore. You'll have a conviction. But the sad reality, you look around us and uh, the things that come out of mouths, especially people that have a megaphone or a microphone uh, in society. It's filth, isn't it? Lots of pride. So much pride coming out of mouths. So much blasphemy. People using God's name in vain. It's one of America's favorite curse words, either Jesus or God, in a curse format. Cursing. The sad reality uh, also is that many of the American heroes of society right now today, I'm not saying all of them, we've got some decent men and women that are heroes in society, and I, and I appreciate when they're out there. But many, think about it, go to the newsstands, read the tweets, read the Instagram post, uh, watch a te- television show, watch a movie. Many of the American heroes in society right now in business, in sports, in movies, music, in literature, in politics, in education, they have perverse mouths. Perverse mouths. And people love it 
because it gives them an excuse to have a perverse mouth. People look up to it. They love the filth. They love the godless sweets. They love the cursing. They love the arrogance. They love the cynicism. Aren't we such a cynical group of people today? It's hard to even, everyone, you know, one of the things that, uh, one of the things that I've noticed, um, specifically you'll see this somewhat on Facebook, but boy, you really see it uh, in this Twitter world. If you read the comments of, it doesn't matter if it's a Wall Street Journal article, it doesn't matter if it's a National Geographic article, it doesn't matter if it's uh, uh, just, hey, I took Susie to the park. The comments will almost be, almost be cynical. Immedi- everyone has a cynical tongue. It's interesting. And God's, God tells us to speak as the he tells us as Christians to speak as the oracles of God. God doesn't have a cynical tongue. He has a pure tongue. The cynicism, the mockery, everyone mocks everybody. People, call, people on, on social media call each other the most vile. They never even met the person, and they'll call them the most filthy of things. It's unbelievable. It doesn't matter if I'm looking, because I, I keep up with a lot of stuff, as a, uh, current events and news and stuff like that, and, and it's unbelievable how vile mouths are. Because before they type it, it's coming out of their mouth, or at least the mind of the mouth. It's all, to get, it's all connected. Jesus said in Matthew twelve thirty six, but I say to you that for every idle word that men speak, they will give an account of it on judgment day. Wow. Not just cynical words, not just mocking words, not just filthy words, not just curse, even idle words. We've got a few of those this week too, don't we? Idle words. Perverse mouth. I don't think that uh, those of us who are saved, I don't think we anymore have a perverse mouth. I think we try and guard the tongue. I I, I certainly don't have a perfect mouth, and neither do you. You heard that earlier. I messed up uh, two men in the Old Testament. We don't have a perfect tongue, but we have a redeemed tongue. And so now the Holy Spirit governs the tongue. The Holy Spirit, you know, we're about to say something. In the ho- Aren't you glad that God can slow seconds down to minutes, it feels like? Because I've had, to, you're about to say something, and the Holy Spirit says, fishing rod, grab tongue, pull it back. I wish he'd have done that for me earlier, but that's just to show my humanity. But if it's something that would be perverse, God doesn't want it coming out of our mouth. So, um, John Owen, uh, he said this. He said, the custom of sinning takes away the sense of it, and the course of this world takes away the shame of it. Isn't that true in our society today? The custom of this world, the custom of sinning, takes away the sense of it. It becomes so normal that people don't sense it. The custom of sinning takes away the sense of it. The course of this world takes away the shame of it. People would used to be ashamed of some of the things that would come out of their mouth. Now there's no shame. Shock jocks and all the satellite radio and all the other things. Everybody just says anything. There's no shame. There will be on Judgment Day, though, where every mouth will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Second, the next thing, he winks his eyes. What does this mean? Characteristic number two, winks his eyes. Uh, Well, the term means, uh, this is going to be really deep, to narrow and to pinch, right? Which is the Hebrew way of saying wink, right? To wink. 
Now, we use the term, we, we, we understand this term, you'll hear it uh, in our uh, modern vernacular, where someone on a TV program will be, be and say, wink, wink. In other words, I don't mean what I just said. Winks his eyes. He means, I say this, but I mean this. Wink, wink. Deceptive. Can't be trusted. The next one, he shuffles his feet. What does this mean? Well, it's not about dancing. If you like to dance, this is not what this is about. Shuffles his feet. It's not about a good athlete. It's not about a basketball player, the crossover drivel, nothing like that. Shuffles his feet. Well, think about shifty, dishonest. Again, similar to the wink, wink, can't be trusted. This also can be someone who changes their moral positions based on convenience. I thought you believed in this. No, I believe in this. What about last year? What about 10 years ago? What about next week? What about tomorrow? Constantly shifting sands, shifting positions, just a shifty person. They'll say anything at any moment. They know how to take shortcuts. They know how to manipulate. A shell game. You see this in business. You see it in political arena. In the political arena. You see it in relationships. I believe we've become a nation of feet shuffling, don't you? A lot of feet shuffling in this country. A lot of shifting positions. A lot of dishonesty becomes pervasive in a life and a heart that continues to reject God. Next point, if you're uh, taking notes, points with his fingers. And this says his, but this can be she as well. This is a mankind type term, but it can obviously relate to men or women. Points with their fingers, if you will. Uh, Emphasis. And energy, you can have someone that uh, uses the hands for emphasis and energy, but it's all disingenuous. It's not real. Uh, Also, sleight of hand. Sleight of hand. Pointing this direction, but really moving in the other direction. Be careful with people with sleight of hand. They're pointing one way, but their heart is taking you in a completely different way. Uh, this is also the point of fingers. Um, this also has the connotation of one that would implicate other people when they themselves are really the problem. Well, that's common, isn't it? You get that in the workplace. You get that in everything. You get it in business, politics, you name it. Pointing the finger at others, but nine really are pointing back at them, right? Or at least four, if it's one hand. The guilt is on them, but uh, really good at redirecting, putting the blame on other people. And in a harmful way, too. Not just, uh, not just in a way that uh, associates you know, blame, but really causes real problems for others. And they don't care because they're self, they're just, it's all about self-preservation, getting to the top. The next uh, on the list, perversity is in his heart. 
Uh, This is the same Hebrew word that we see in Deuteronomy 32, verse 20. Let me read Deuteronomy 32, verse 20. Uh, This word isn't used that often in the Old Testament, but here's where it is, and so you can kind of get a sense of where this word perversity, uh, where Solomon's going with this uh, in uh, chapter 6 here. So in Deuteronomy 32, 20, this is God speaking. It says, and he said, I will hide my face from them, and we'll see what their end will be, for they are a perverse generation, children in whom is no faith. There it is right there. The connotation that Solomon is getting at is this perversity that he's speaking of is someone who is faithless. They have no faith in God. They have no trust in God. They basically block God out. And God said to Israel, I'll... I'll see what your end will be when you decide to have no faith in me. When you decide to reject me and go your own way and have no faith in me whatsoever, it'll be calamity. All this, this, uh, this individual, the perversity, means that all their faith uh, is trust in themselves, no trust in God. Uh, you think about that. On our currency, it says, in God we trust. That's a pretty big lie right now. And we're going to be held accountable because God could look, he could read Deuteronomy 32 uh, to our nation, 3220 to this country, and say, the perversity is you really don't have any faith in me. I don't see any of our leaders. I don't see either of the candidates running for office saying, I want to pray for revival and repentance. I don't see that. I don't see any of that from most any of our leaders in, in any arena. I don't see that. I see it from some pastors and a handful of other people in non-pastoral arenas. But for the most part, everyone says, here's my idea. And God says, I'm the only one that has the answers. Faith in ourselves. No trust in God. No faith in God. And that's a big, serious problem because it might start out with things that don't seem that bad, but once a person abandons God, you know, people wonder how world dictators could get to the place of things that they do. Well, if you don't believe in God, there's really no right or wrong to anything. Look what's next on the the list. Devises evil continually. Devises evil continually. This is a nonstop pattern. Uh, You know, you think about a career criminal. You ever watched any of these documentaries uh, about... Uh, mob bosses and things like that. I mean, I, I've watched some of these things, and you're looking at because I'm fat. I'm sometimes fascinated. Had it some immigrant that comes over from Europe, uh, uh, dirt poor, had a normal job, all of a sudden become just a murderous, complete criminal enterprise. What? what when? When? When did the tracks? When did the train go off the tracks? And then it becomes devising. Evil continuously. When the FBI uh, actually uh, levies uh, a charge against uh, organized crime, it's, they have to define it as criminal enterprise. In other words, it wasn't just, I was walking down the street one day, I saw a purse I wanted, popped it in my head, hey, I'd like to have it. No, no, it's an enterprise. It's, it's well-planned. It's devised. Criminal enterprise means that, that the whole system is set up expressly to commit crime. And it's well thought out, and how it's, you know, you, you've seen, if you've ever watched the documentaries on uh, how the drug trade moves to the United States, I mean, it's run like a business. They use 
laptops and big data and, and they have checkpoints and they have middlemen to middlemen to middlemen to middlemen. Everything is, everything is run like, just like you would run a business enterprise. Just it's run with violence and it's run uh, with uh, intimidation and all kinds of other things. But when you think about devising evil continually, it's one thing to sin. It's one thing to live a fleshy life. This is, though, the person that gives thought, planning, attention on how to sin, how to harm, how to deceive and hurt other people, and that is the plan and intent. It's not just someone just kind of living out there, uh, they're in sin, but this is someone who's really crafting a way to do evil. And it comes in many different forms. And it's always deceptive and it's always destructive. Um, uh, right now, uh, the last couple of weeks, a major bank is making news uh, because 2.2 million fake accounts were set up by 5,300 employees. And those 5,300 employees, by the way, were fired. Strangely enough, none of the executive team's been fired yet. Hmm. Somebody somewhere devised this dishonest scheme. It didn't just happen that 5,300 employees are all doing the same thing. They're all fired, by the way. Someone devised this. I don't know who. Maybe someone in that 5,300, but somebody devised it. Others may have been coerced along the way, and it appears that people were. Many were hurt along the way. But somebody was the original planner. Somebody was the designer of this. Somebody had no problem with unethical, immoral things. The political scandals and the bribes, uh, kickbacks, blackmails, cover-ups, these are architected by hearts that are devoid of honesty and integrity. And so the scheme then becomes the norm. Once you do this on a regular basis, it becomes how you operate. Just a scheme, lie, blackmail, cheat, whatever. The same goes for, we've seen ministry leaders, big-time ministry leaders in America that have, have lied and stolen from God's people. And some of them return to the pulpit in no time flat. I don't understand it, but it happens. Hackers, you think about computer hackers, they routinely, they scheme and they plan ways to rob millions, ruining people's personal identity and, and taking, you know, uh, sub, subtracting out of, of bank accounts, destroying people's peace and destroying their lives. We spend millions and billions fighting against this stuff, don't we? We've got everybody fighting against it. People rob homes. They, you've got people that just study homes to see when you're there, when you're not there, patterns so they can rob your home. This is scheming. This is devising an evil scheme. It wasn't an accident. Whoops, I ended up in your house. I don't know how I got in there. It was locked and everything. But somehow I stumbled upon a way to unlock it. That's a scheme. But the devise and the design, the devising of evil can be much more evil and much more sinister than that, can it? You have men, some have made major news that uh, have plotted and used date rape drugs and uh, they've had multiple victims. You think about the human trafficking that is skyrocketing in the world. You've got organized crime running these networks and these schemes and they're elaborate and they're wicked. They're just like watching it. They're looking at a spider web, aren't they? Think of the carefully laid plans of the terror attacks. Um, you know, I mentioned 9-11, and you know, a couple of years before 9-11, when the rest of us were doing whatever we were doing, these guys are learning to fly, fly planes. I've said this for 10 years. It's every single day that I get up and I try and live for God, you try and live for God, there's people around the world planning our demise. I mean, doing the most 
if you had any idea, and I had any, what they're working on next, it would probably blow our minds. And they'll all, because evil is just kind of, just like righteousness goes all the way up into the heavens, well, evil goes into the depths of hell. It just continues to get worse. And you think about uh, the plans that were, that were laid, uh, whether they be the 9-11 attacks in New York City, a, a train in Spain, whether they be a Boston Marathon, whether it be Israel on every other week, Paris cafes or uh, uh, Burkina Faso uh, Hotel there in Africa or the resort in Ivory Coast or San Bernardino office building or just this past weekend at various public spots in New York, New Jersey, while you may enjoy and you're planning your vacation or you're planning your kid's birthday party, there's other people planning to kill people. I mean, and they have a bloodlust for it. This is what God's talking about. This is the proliferation. And then he has this last on the list. Look at the list. It says, he who sows discord. Well, that one, that seems a little innocuous compared to some of the others, but this last one starts in the heart of a child, doesn't it? You see it on the playgrounds. Someone that starts discord. Troublemaking. You see it in school. You see it in families. You see it in adults. We see it in all of ourselves. I mean, all of us have a little discord starting uh, gene in us, don't we? We all have that ability. We all have the dishonesty gene, and we all have the scheming gene. We have all these. I'm just saying the more you live in them, you see how bad they get. Unless we get people saved young, they become Al Capones. They become menaces to society. But God is saying, if you can train the heart of a child when they're young, Look what God can do. But even if they're not young, if we can get a hold of them uh, now, today, it could, it could save lots of heartache. But discord, it starts young, and we see it in teens, we see it in adults. I mentioned social media. We see it all over the place in social media, usually out of pride and emotion. That's where it usually starts. But what God is saying here is that there are some who stir up He's being a little more specific than this here. There are some that stir up discord and hatred for their own personal gain. They're really good at it. And not to be funny, they are good at stirring up discord for destruction. It's not a moment thing. It's a plan. It's a lifestyle. See, discord makes some people powerful. It allows them to pit people against each other and create what would be a circular firing squad, right? We see this happen in our country right now. And don't think it's one person, it's multiple people that have this discord desire to stir people, to really incite hatred on all sides. But for all these characteristics of sin and rebellion... Look what God says, verse 15, Therefore his calamity shall come suddenly, suddenly he shall be broken without remedy. Now ultimately the archetype of this, the Antichrist, someday God's going to destroy him, crush him like a bug. But anyone else that lives with a foolish notion that they can just do their own thing and reject God and live this way, I mean, think about, you, know, you think about people that choose a life of crime and they, they live some of the youngest life expectancies. Right, you know the statistics are all out there that uh, it, it really doesn't pay to do crime, 
All the, think of, look at all the people that have died young, like the, the rock stars that have drank and drunk themselves to death and things like that. All this, it's not a good plan. And that's why we have to tell people the good news, but we also have to share with them the whole news. J.I. Packer said, if we do not preach about sin and God's judgment on it, we cannot present Christ as Savior from sin and the wrath to come. There's no reason for Jesus to come if there's no judgment to come. He might as well stay in heaven. Hey, you know, there's some religions that say, hey, you'll just cease to exist or do this or that. You know, well, then why did Jesus come and die? No, because there really is a sin problem. There really is a judgment problem. Let's uh, look briefly at the other seven list here. Some of this is repetitive, so... But then there's, so these are the seven characteristics of a fleshly person. Then God uses this term, hate. I mean, loathes. God hates sin. You and I, we hate evil at certain times, but we don't always hate sin. True? Because we'll tolerate sin in ourselves a lot of times. God hates sin at all times, in all forms. Little sins, big sins, medium sins, uh, extra large grande sins. By the way, completely offside, while I'm talking about extra large, a, a scam that I have identified lately is pizza sizes. Has anyone else run into this? There used to be small, medium, and large. Now, I've been fooled twice. They're not fooling me anymore. (laughs) Extra large is what large used to be. We have a family of five. We know how these things slice. So now there's four sizes. Just I'm just this was extra bonus material tonight. So you don't have to be deceived when you buy a pizza. Maybe that's a too strong a term, but now there's small, medium, large, and extra large. Free material right there. Extra large was formerly large. I don't care if it's Domino's. I don't care if it's the news place on the street. Interesting, huh? That's the value of your dollar, but that's a separate topic altogether. Seven things God hates. All right. Six things the Lord hates. Interesting, by the way. I don't know what much to make of it. I'm not going to make too much of it. Six things the Lord hates. Six is the number of man, by the way. God mentions six here, and then, then the seven is the completeness and the complete holiness of God. Six things the Lord hates, yes, seven. I never understand why God wrote it this way. So if it's seven, why not just say seven? But I don't know. Uh, maybe there's something to that, I don't know. But six things the Lord hates, yes, seven. Uh, there is some overlap with the previous list as well. Seven are an abomination to him. Abomination means things that he's going to utterly destroy, things that he will obliterate, things that he loathes hates, won't come near. And this list starts with, first, a proud look. Isn't it interesting that God doesn't like a haughty countenance, a prideful look? We have to be careful not to have a prideful look, you know? And some people, I, I, especially you see young people, teenagers, like they're so stuck up. Maybe they're just shy, right? But as a believer... I don't know if they use the word stuck up anyway. They did when I was younger, but anyway. Now, as Christians, we have to go above and beyond to be the fragrance of Christ, to not look haughty, to have a smile, to have a pleasant countenance, right? 
Because God wants us to be representative. We're ambassadors for Christ, the Scripture says. But it's interesting that God hates. These, remember, the, this is the word hate. God hates a prideful look. Boy, this would just, this would just knock out 90% of the music industry, wouldn't it? Every now and then, and there might be someone on the, on the popular stage now who does, but this is the way, this is the way they sell music. Everyone has to be pri- a haughty look, a lustful look, some sort of a prideful countenance. This, according to Ezekiel chapter 28, verse, 20, uh, verse 17, uh, this was Satan's sin. Did you know Satan was enamored with himself? He was, God made him the most beautiful of all the angelic creatures, and Satan came to believe it. Whatever gifts or talents God's given you, just say, but don't believe in yourself at all, because they could be gone tomorrow. The Lord, as Job said, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. We have nothing to be prideful for. We're, the, the, the next breath I take is but by the grace of God. This haughty look, God hates it. and We see it in so many arenas, but very dangerous. God hates it. The next, um, a lying tongue. Now, we've seen uh, the dishonesty already. We, we, we talked a little bit about uh, that that would apply to uh, both the perversity as well as the um, perverse mouth. Certainly, just, uh, devising evil, all those things are, are forms of dishonesty. But here, specifically, a lying tongue. Um, you know, lying, I think it was Time Magazine several years ago talked about, had the cover was uh, the lying in America. Just the fact that uh, it's even observable to unsaved people how often people now lie. It's, it's bad on sitcoms, it's bad on children's programming. I mean, just lies all over the place. But Satan is called in the scriptures the father of lies. And Jesus said, if you follow that path, you're of your father, the devil. Jesus is the opposite. He is the way, the what? Truth and the life. He saved us to start constantly and continually being truthful as opposed to dishonest and deceptive. God hates a lying tongue. And and you and I should really, Lord... See if there's any deceit in our tongue. You know, we, uh, the longer I'm saved, the Lord, I don't want to even exaggerate things. I want to be truthful. If you can't say something good, so don't walk in some and say, hey, do you like my truth? Yeah, I hate it. Uh, so I, not, I need to be telling the truth now. So that's a conundrum, isn't it? I don't have time to address that. Moving on. I've never had to say that to my wife. I like all her dresses, so I don't have to worry about that. Hands that shed innocent blood. Boy, we've got a lot of hands involved in this in our own nation. Look at all the abortions committed, the hands that have contributed. We showed the video on Sunday. I mean, God, everyone is complicit in that. I mean, you've got the legislatures, the court systems would be complicit, the um, the consenting adults would be complicit. I'm all on the way. I, huge amount of weight on the on the fathers that have abandoned their responsibility. But uh, dads that never taught their kids right. I mean, just the, the list goes on and on. But uh, millions of kids, millions of unborn babies killed by abortion. You know, look at the thousands thousands every year that are killed by domestic abuse. You know, violence, and domestic abuse, drug and gang violence. What an enigma in our country. 
You know, we, 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 enter, we see the gang when we go into Bonaire. We, we, we see the fact that they have all the gang, uh, you name them, they're in there. Just the headlines today. This is today. Uh, after a deadly summer in Chicago, uh, this is Los Angeles Times headlines. After deadly summer, Chicago plans nearly 1,000 new hires for a police department. Why? Well, they've had more than 3,000 people shot already this year. 3,000 people. That's just Chicago. This is in Dallas, San Francisco, New York, L.A., Miami, Atlanta. This is just Chicago. 3,000 shot. They're on pace for 600 murders this year. Most of them is young people killing young people. Almost, it's like 90, I don't know what the high, I don't know what the percentage, but mostly young people killing young people. I mean, but God says people that shed innocent blood. And there's been uh, a lot of different forms of that. God hates it all. But it's gonna, he'll judge it. The next one, uh, a heart that devises wicked, heart devises wicked plans. We already discussed this earlier, so there's really not, uh, it, it's the same the same thing, someone who's continually scheming evil. And just when you think, by the way, people that scheme evil, they will come up with something no one is currently doing. Because you can be an innovator in evil, right? I mean, you think about it, uh, when you hear terms like in the Middle Ages, the, the, the uh, torture chambers, I mean, when you hear the term Iron Maiden, I went to the Tower of London in England. Someone had to come up with that thing. Someone devised it. Like, how can we hurt people even more and make it more excruciating? That's, that's the point, is that devising of evil, it comes with a sadistic innovation. Satan takes a sadistic innovation, so if, if something that could be used for good, like the Internet, comes along... The Internet's being used for great things, translating the Bible in different languages. Uh, we use the Internet to broadcast for the church on Facebook and this, that, and the other, and we're trying to reach people for Jesus. But just as the Internet is in and of itself neither good nor bad, someone else will take it and make it completely sadistic evil and use it in all kinds of harmful ways and get people into bondage. So the heart devises the wicked plans. The next one. Uh, feet that are swift and running to evil. Feet that are swift. Uh, this is a lust for sin. Just um, uh, if anything comes down the pike that is against God, double thumbs up, right? And uh, it's just a complete, uh, the heart is so abandoned from anything of the Lord that just an attraction to everything Evil, and the worse it gets, the more attractive. And this is the scary thing about if, if uh, you don't want to be here in the seven-year tribulation, when the world becomes so wicked that everyone has just a complete bent towards evil, and the things that you know that you think are uh, you know bad today will maybe considered tame at that point. I don't want to be here for that. I plan on being with Jesus. How about you? But this is a mob mentality to join Satan's Pied Piper taking people right into hell. Feet swift to run into evil. And then he says, uh, wrapping up, just these last two, a false witness who speaks lies. Now, he said, well, there was already a lying tongue in this list. That's true. Uh, but a false witness who speaks lies. Now, obviously, there's overlap. Uh, but this is a little more specific. This is uh, someone who they lie 
and put other people in really bad positions. They would lie, and they wouldn't care if they lied, and someone went to jail the rest of their life for something they didn't do. Can you, can you imagine how heartless that is? That someone would lie and say, this person did this to me, and they really were innocent. We have our Christian brothers and sisters are suffering from this all over the world where people are lying against them. Richard Wormbrand had this. They accused him of things that weren't true, and some of our Chinese pastors are being accused of this, of things that that were not true, and they're thrown in jail, and then they malign their name, and they get tortured in the process, all for things that weren't even true. Because you have, this is the person who's, who's so deceptive, they would do it to railroad other people. And it can be lesser forms. This could be the person who is willing to throw anyone under the bus at your office to save their skin. And they don't mind lying. I mean, bold-faced lying. You're like, we have a video of you. No, I wasn't there. We have a video. It's date stamped. You were there. Thank goodness we have the video. You just lied about everybody, right? So this is um, a person that would speak these lies. But we need to be careful because lies innuendo on other people, if it's not true, exaggeration, to climb and make ourselves look better is not good either. Amen? He hates it in all forms. And the last one, one who sows discord among the brethren. Now, Satan is the one that really just tries to sow discord and destroy the church more than anybody else. But And so Satan sows discord. He uses the world to sow discord in the church a lot. But sadly, he also uses other Christians to sow discord among other Christians. And that's the worst. We we can expect unsaved people to want to divide the church. We can expect unsaved people to want to divide ancient Israel. And they would. But we should not ever be the ones that divide brother against brother brother against sister, sister against sister. And yet, sadly, of course, uh, this happens. Um, you know, Chuck Smith said, uh, you know, you think about it, and, and you might observe in others, but we need to observe in ourselves. He said, oh, how terrible our sins look when they are committed by someone else. Right? And it's true. We, we can see it in other people, but God, give me a good mirror so I see it in me too. That we're not discord sowing. Oh, I meant that as a compliment. Oh, really? You ever heard the term backhand compliment? Be very, I mean, we, we can kind of soothe our own conscience by saying, well, I didn't really mean it in that way. Well, you've already lit the fire now, right? Now, when we do light a fire, we talked about this uh, in Proverbs before, we need to go put it out as quickly as possible. Because we, we, still, we still will make mistakes. We'll still sometimes sow discord on accident. Uh, but this is someone who's not doing it on accident. This is purposeful, willful sowing of discord. We will offend each other. If you're married, you've sowed discord at least once in your life, right? On accident, I hope. But if you're doing it on purpose, stop it. You know, we're going to do these things sometimes because we are. We can't have it in the body of Christ. In Psalm 133, 1, it says, Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell in unity. Because the God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they're perfectly unified, and this is what God wants for the church and really what he wants for mankind, all that all would come to him and repent. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Lord, we...
just bow before you. Lord, even in, in this room, uh, we just ask that uh, if even trace amounts of these things are in our life, on our tongue, in our minds, Lord, we just ask for your forgiveness and that you cleanse and purify us. Lord, we want to be salt and light in this world that is so dark. As Paul wrote to the Philippians that we could be blameless in a crooked and perverse generation. And Lord, we don't look down at the crooked and perverse generation. Uh, We relate because we were once in darkness too. And so Lord, we ask that you would use us with a countenance that is full of joy as we walk back into the world tonight and tomorrow. Uh, Lord, that we would take the light of Jesus wherever we go. And Lord, those that are thirsty will give them a drink of living water. And Lord, you would even turn the hearts of those that are causing so much pain and trouble both in our families, our communities, and even in this nation and around the world. Use the body of Christ and start it in here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.